noise, make 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 noise. This is a man that I've known for many, many years. I watched him come from the bottom and take it all the way to the top of black radio because that's where he is right now. He's one of the few people that when I listen to him, I literally trust everything he says because it comes from a place of truth and I can feel that. Charlemagne the God, welcome to the show, brother. Fat Man Scoop, thank you, King. Appreciate that. Don't, don't trust everything I say, though, but I do agree that... Um, you know, I'm sincere about everything, even my ignorance. Yes, yes. I am sensible sometimes, but I am ignorant at many other times. I'm going to start with this. Coronavirus, man-made or Mother Nature? I trust, you, I trust what you're going to say to me. Um, I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, we really don't know. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's a hell of a thing to, to speculate about. I'm going to blame it on Mother Nature, though, only because we've seen... You know, we've seen these kind of pandemics before, you know, whether it was influenza, whether it was swine flu, whether it was bird flu, whether it was Ebola. You know, these things happen from time to time. It's just that our generation hasn't seen one of this magnitude that's impacted us. You know, Ebola impacted, swine flu impacted, but we never had anything directly make us have to sit our asses down for a second, you know. I can't remember which one. I think it was, I think it was swine flu or bird flu killed like 12,000 people in America, but it didn't stop the country. You know, so I, I would have to say that is I would have to say that is this mother nature. Long term effects to black people. Oh, man. I mean, it, it's not even it's not even coronavirus that is, has the long term effects to black people. It's it's systemic racism that creates all these underlying conditions that make black communities vulnerable to whatever it is. It don't matter if it's coronavirus. It don't matter if it's diabetes. It don't matter if it's HIV, AIDS. Black people are going to always get hit the worst until you know, something systemically can done, something systemically can be done to put us in a better condition, period. I'm going to act like I know nothing about you. No backstory, no nothing. I'm going to act like I just met you from the mm -hmm. top. Because I never knew and I never asked, how did you get your name? Um, when I used to sell crack in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, I used to always use an alias and say my name was Charles and Charlie because the town is small. So, you know, people pull up on the block and they see you and they'd be like, oh, that's Larry's son. Or that's that's Julie's son, you know. And so I, I would always say my name was Charles and Charlie because it's wild, right? The fiends would pull up and buy crack, but they would, would go tell on the kid for selling it. Go tell them. I'm going to tell your parents, like, you know, but you you buying. So it's like um, I, I started calling myself Charles or Charlie. And then I was in night school and I was reading in a history book of how Charlemagne stood for uh, Charles the Great. It was French for Charles the Great. And, you know, I was studying the 5% teachings of Islam around the same time. So I just switched the great to the God. But it really makes no sense because it's Charlemagne the Great, the God. Okay. You came from the South. Were you on the radio there? Yeah, absolutely. I was, um, I started off as an intern in 1998 at Z93 mm -hmm. Jams in uh, Monk's Corner, South and in Charleston, South Carolina. So I started off as an intern in 1998. Like, Power 1051 is like the seventh radio station I worked at. Look, how did you get to Wendy? I worked uh, at Z93 in Charleston as an intern. Then I got on the air. Then I was at Hot 98.9. And I got fired from there. And then I ended up at the Big DM in Columbia. They flipped four matches. And then I was on Hot 103.9 in Columbia. That's how I met, met up with Wendy because that company at the time was owned by Inner City Broadcasting. And Wendy was syndicated on that station. So mm -hmm. she, used to, she used to come down and do her show from that 
do her show from um, uh, Columbia, South Carolina. And that's when, I, that's when I first, you know, started interacting with her. And, you know, the, the internet was popping at the time. So a lot of her producers and stuff kind of knew me from the internet, you know, just, just watching my interviews and stuff online. So, you know, when it came time for her to be looking for a co-host, the short story is when it came time for her to be looking for a co-host, I was, you know, one of the people she wanted just because she wanted somebody from radio. Cause I guess she was looking to make that transition to television. So that's the short story. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, like I saw everything happen, especially when you got to New York, I happened to go on the show one time and you were, and I was actually promoting a television show with my ex-wife and myself. I remember and join on MTV. Yep. Hell yeah. and, and, and you were you were you you were you were doing kind of the same thing as Wendy. You were taking a lot of risks. You were saying crazy stuff. And full disclosure, people, I can't. Myself and Charlemagne both were mentored and taught by Wendy. Everything that I know about radio, I know from Wendy. She was the really? first person that ever had me. The first day I went to High ninety seven, she was the one who was there teaching me how to do it. And and everything I learned, I learned from her. And you. You were in there and we were doing the interview and you told me I'd like to eat your wife's box. And I was like, yo, bro, if you say that to me one more time, I'm going to put you on your back. I'm going to make your back dirty. But I, when I walked out, I said, wait up, hold on. This guy is headed for something because he's fierce. He doesn't care. And he has, he has, he has absolutely no fear about what he does. And those are three of the the major things that you need to be successful in this business. And you became extremely successful. Hold on, we have a problem. Okay. Oh, no, no, he's coming, he's coming back. He just, his internet is crazy right now. He'll come back in a minute. But anybody that knows me knows that, I, again, I was taught by Wendy Williams. And Wendy Williams, you know, one of the first things that she told me, she said, if you ever get caught doing something, Always admit it. If you ever get busted doing something, always yep. admit it. I was just telling them about Wendy. Um, and so I don't know what, what you caught. I'll go back and say it again. The day that I was in, in there doing the interview with man and wife, you told me that you wanted to eat my wife's pussy. And I... And, I, and I, 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 I... You said I, box. You said I box. highly doubt that. I would you never say I that got it. I would never say that to another man. Oh, you, I got it. I got it on tape. I got it on tape. I said it to you. You have to but show you, me that. You, you didn't say you didn't say pussy. You said box. But listen, let me let me just let me just tell you, you what I punched me I, in my mouth. Said. Huh? Yeah. Let me tell you what. But I, I don't I think said. I said that. When 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 you said it, I said to you, Yo, bro, I respect what you do, but I will get your back dirty. And when I walked out, I said, Wait up, hold on. This man has all of the ingredients to become a star in this business. He's fearless. He's gonna say what he wants to say, and he and he and he has no chill. Sure enough, you got to the top of the business. When I walked out of there, I said, I respect that man. He's going to be something. From that day, I have watched you go from there to here. So I, I knew that this was coming. Um, speaking of getting fired, because everybody has been fired. If you, if you haven't been, you haven't even been a radio DJ unless you've been fired at least once. Um, has, any artist, has any artist or celebrity tried to get you fired? Um, not that I know of. I mean, there was there was always a rumor, but I don't think it was true. He even said it wasn't true. Well, he didn't he actually. Well, no, he did say it wasn't true. If that's uh, they said, Hove got me fired when I was doing radio in Philadelphia when I had um when I had Beanie Siegel call in for an interview when they had their little issues going on. 
you know. <laughs> and um, Diddy, 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 one time definitely when I was on the Breakfast Club when his last Train to Paris album came out, and I I, I shitted on the last Train to Paris album. He definitely was like, he definitely was like, yo, he needs to get up, he needs to be out of here. That was definitely true. How do you handle that? How do you handle that when somebody is really gunning for you? I mean, it comes with the territory, right? Like, I, I feel like, you know, you can't say what you want to say and, you know, tell people how to react to it. You know, I don't, I, I, there's nothing I can say. If a person curses me out, if a person sends people to the radio station to fight me, which has happened, then there's, no, there's nothing I can do. I put that out there. I put that energy out there. You know what I mean? Like, if, you're, if what you're telling me is true and I said to you, yo, I want to eat your wife's box, if you would have got up and punched me in my mouth, I'm supposed to be mad? I'm supposed to be like, yo, you went too far, Scoop. No, nigga, you no, went I, too far. Clearly. <laughs> I understood the game because I'm of radio, so I understood what you were doing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a couple of questions. Give me a one word or a short answer. Hardest interview you ever had. Hardest interview I ever had. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I think the hardest interviews are the guys who, you know, especially the younger rappers, you know, that, that just aren't good with doing interviews. You know what I'm saying? Like, they come there and they don't really have, have much to say. It's like pulling teeth. You know, those are always, I guess, the toughest ones, but, you know, you don't have to do them. You can tell them that they need to go, you know? Most tense interview you ever had where the tension was you could cut it with a knife. I've never had it. I've never felt tension. I mean, I think I, I, there was one time where, um, where I honestly felt like dude would have swung on me. And that Who was, was, that? That, was that, that was Nelly, actually. Nelly? That was Nelly. Yeah, that was Nelly. That was what that was. What? Um, um, I don't remember what year it was, but this was like after, this was like, like it was, it was Nelly in like old nine. No, it had to be like 2010, 2011. Cause it was breakfast clubs. It was like 2010, 2011, maybe 2012. And I just remember saying to Nelly, like, yo, you kind of cold out here. And Nelly was like, <laughs> Nelly was like, yo, I keep retainers for guys like you. Cause that's, I, that's, a, that, I understand that talk. And, and he was calm about it. He it wasn't no, nothing aggressive. Wasn't no rah, rah. It was just. Nice and calm. And I'm like, you know what? All right. I see what this could be. Let me let me relax. What about the one, because I called you this day. The day that it happened, I called you. When Fredro Starr was in, in, the, in the room with you. And people, if you don't know Fredro Starr, Fredro Starr is a, he's a, he's a pretty tough dude. Like, I, like, I've seen him do some things. He's a pretty tough dude. And he was, you were interviewing him, and he, it, it was getting really, really tense. And I think he like got up in your face or whatever, but you didn't flinch, you didn't move, you didn't say anything. And that day I called you, I said, that was some of the most bravest journalism I'd ever seen in my life. What was going through your mind when that was happening? Nothing, because uh, I didn't say anything to Fredro for him to react like that. You know what I'm saying? Like the comment uh, I said to Fredro was something that came out of his mouth. And that was that he um, he said that he used to get hair from Brandy. That was on a Vlad TV interview or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So that was the that was the comment that that was asked about, and he flipped out because of that. So I didn't think nothing of it. Like it stuff like that don't bother me. It's like you know, and that, that's what people don't understand. It's like it's not like we don't have people there. You know what mm. I mean? But what would I look like turning up in an interview? Who gonna fight in the interview? It's cool. Say what you want to say. Just don't put your hands on me. What about Birdman? Because I, I even made a remix off that. Like, I made a remix off, put some respect <laughs> on my name. Like, what, what, what is it that we didn't see that took it to that place for him to come in there and do that? 
I mean, I think everybody saw it. That was just me offering commentary over the years, you know, saying um, I know the one thing that really set him off was me saying, why would you why would you sign the Birdman? You know what I'm saying? When you see his history of, you know, how he doesn't pay his artists, you know. So yeah, I understood that, too. He was like, yo, that's fucking up his business. Radio person that you trust and respect. The one radio person you trust and respect. As far as what? Just you respect them. You respect how they get down. You 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 trust oh, their word. They talk. It's it's so many of them though. I mean, it's like yo, you can start with Angie Martinez. You know, Angie is like, Angie has a, a rare quality of just making everybody feel comfortable. You know, mm-hmm. so that's why they that's why people come and they've been spilling their guts to Angie for years. And plus, she's just a a super dope person. You know. Um, you know, I, I I was always a fan of Petey Green. You know, I, I didn't grow up in that era. But, you know, when mm-hmm. you go back and you do your history and you see, like, those guys who were the first radio personalities, I guess, to really, really speak their mind and speak their opinions in a real way, even influencing somebody like Howard Stern. That's what Petey Green did, you know. Of course, Wendy. I respect I respect Wendy. I mean, it's, it's, the list is long. That's a long this list. Is, yeah, Doug, Doug Banks, Tom Joyner. I guess so many people that I've been influenced by in various ways and so many people who, who, who I trust from the radio side of things. One thing that you said that you thought you would get fired for but didn't. Man, that's a great question because you never know, right? Because I've never gotten fired for anything that I've said. I've always gotten fired for, like, other reasons. Like, you know, the first time I ever got fired, they brought in a new program director, and that program director, you know, just wasn't rocking with me. So he bought in his own team. Um, second time I got fired is when I took the job with Wendy and, and you know, the, the station in Columbia, Hot 139, which we now are syndicated on in the mornings. The PD was like, yo, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Cool. Third time I got fired was 2008 when I was working with Wendy and that was a, a, a economic layoff. You know, that's, that was like 08. That was right before, it was the day before Barack became president-elect. So, you know, what kind of condition the economy was in then. Mm-hmm. And when I got fired in Philly, it was the same thing. They brought in a new program director. He wasn't rocking with me. He decided to bring in, you know, uh, uh, another morning show. So I, I've never gotten fired for anything that I've said. I can't, I can't think about stuff like that. If I think about stuff like that, then I'll, I'll you know, you'd be in there second-guessing yourself too much, man. I agree. You know? The only things that I ever said, and I'm just going to hop to me for one second. I said, I was on Hot 97, and I said the only good black business was a drug operation and it was a protest because i said raheem if right if you tell raheem to get two keys of coke at 11 o'clock he'll be there but if you tell him to be be at uh, mcdonald's at 11 he won't be there there was a big there was a protest outside and what i did was i went and grabbed all the protesters and i brought them upstairs to hot 97 i got a pizza and it was over so i mean sometimes it happens like that sometimes it doesn't do you feel like you're hated or respected by the people that you interviewed Hated or respected? Um, that's a great question. Maybe, maybe neither. You know, maybe it's just a gray area. You know what I'm saying? I, I definitely don't think I'm hated because if they was hated, they wouldn't show up. Hey, you don't. They don't have to come. I don't care how big the platform is. They don't have to come at all. And no you know, respected is, you know, I don't know. Some people may respect you. Some people may don't. Like you know, respect. Respect is is a subjective thing, right? Like you know, you have to give people a reason to respect you. I guess, you know, when you got when you got accosted or whatever you accosted, jumped, stepped to if by the guys in front of Power 105 and people, if you don't know this years ago, Charlemagne had a situation and he got 
uh, accosted by some guys in front of Power 105, and he went right upstairs and spoke about it. Why was your first thought to come upstairs and talk about that on the radio? I mean, that's my first thought with everything. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a scholar. You know, I'm not a, I'm not an academic. You know what I mean? I, I don't have any, uh, any, 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 any talents per se. So it's like the only thing I know how to do is, is, is be, be transparent. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> my, my life, my life is my, 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 my prep. You know what I mean? When they tell when they tell us to prep for radio, like my life is my prep. That's the easiest thing for me to talk about myself. Actually, the day before I was talking about it, I was like, yo, what, what, do, you, what do you do if you get jumped on camera? If you go back, I was talking about it the day before because they tried to line me up the day before. I could just tell that was the setup. They didn't, they didn't try to do anything to me, but it was just like some dudes outside the radio station early in the morning asking for a drop. I'm like, yo, ain't nobody hustling that hard. You know what right. I'm saying? Like, like nobody hustling that hard. So I just knew that was that was the lineup. Right. So it's like the next day when it happened, I'm like, well, it happened. Like, you know, whatever. I, I, I want to step in again and just say something. We both were taught by Wendy Williams. The one thing that Wendy taught me in the conversations I had with her was whatever happens, you go and talk about it first, because if you talk about it first, it's no longer a story. If you hide, if you run, if you tell your PR to not to, you know, to put out a statement, you're always going to. You're always going to get the flack. And one thing Wendy taught me was, if you don't talk about it, you allow me to talk about it. Then it becomes my story. And I always thought that you did that because you followed, like, what we were taught by her. Nah, I just thought it was it's always the easiest thing to do, you know? Because I think, I think honestly, that, um, that mind state is over nowadays, though, because you have social media. And with social media, you literally got tens of millions of people creating a narrative about you so it don't matter what you say anything you say is just going to be picked apart it's not like you can just get in front of something say it and people believe it for what it is even if it's the truth and that's why i don't even trip on stuff like that because like the truth is going to be the truth regardless of who believes it and a lie is going to be a lie regardless if millions of people believe it so it's just like it don't even matter i, I don't i don't even know if you can control i don't think you could ever control your narrative but you definitely can't do it now in 2020 you definitely can't do it now. People, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Charlemagne the God, TV, radio, podcast host, one of the best radio guys, period. I would put him up there with Howard Stern, star, uh, star, star for Buck Wild, myself. Um, wow. Thank you, man. I mean, a lot. I mean, a lot coming you, from you, brother. You there, man, because you you say what you say. Me, I say what I say. Star, star from Star, Buck Wild, he say what he say. By the way, we do this every night at 7 p.m. News, advice, opinion, celebrity interview, Charlemagne the God. And you can follow me, people, if you're not at Fat Man Scoop to get the notification every night at 7, we do this. Um, I want to ask you a couple of different questions because I want to get you out of here. Politics. How did you get so deep into politics? Um, I mean, I think, I think that, you know, when you come from a certain, certain aesthetic of hip-hop like i think it's just natural right it's, it's never like we've not been in the politics you know what i mean like it's all of our best and brightest have always talked about government uh you know talked about various presidents so it's kind of hard not to pay attention but i know in 2008 was the first time i ever voted period and that was because of barack obama and that's just because barack had the culture the way that he had it but i wasn't politically sophisticated at all i literally was just voting because <laughs> barack barack was a black man you know what I'm saying? Like, honestly, if I'm being totally honest, I just voted because he was a black man. But then, you know, as you get older and you start to just pay a lot more attention and, you know, 
start to have different conversations with different people in your circle. And I think this is the first time that hip hop and uh hip hop hip hop and a lot of people in that political space are like really you know, uh, creating synergy with each other. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of these people, they grew up on hip-hop culture. So being that they grew up on hip-hop culture, they listen to The Breakfast Club. So now they want their candidates to start coming through because they know we reach a different audience. And so for me, it was just about, well, I want to be informed on these people when they pull up. And so it's just like, that's, that's how it happened. Like, it wasn't something that I set out to do. It was just like an organic transition, I guess. Would you ever be a talking head for a network like CNN, MS, MSNBC, Fox, whatever? Um, nah, I've gotten those offers. Nah, because it's just nah. like, what's the point? Like, what's the point of uh, committing to one when when I could, you know, go go on all of them? I could go on MSNBC. I can go on CNN. I've I've, I've been on Fox News before. You know, it's like for me, if I'm, I'm not I'm not here for that. Like, I'm not here to be a a talking head in that space. I just have some opinions sometimes. And you know people want to hear them, and I'll, I'll go where I can deliver them. I don't see the need to like, you know, box myself into one particular network. If you could pick a candidate and not Obama, who would you pick? A candidate, like um, just just anybody to run for office. Anybody, you get to put your person in for the Democratic nom- nominee. Who would you put in? I don't have any of them because none of my none of my candidates are actual politicians. You know what I mean? Like I want people who have. Uh, black people's interests, best interests at heart, like people who have a, a comprehensive black agenda that covers, you know, economics and healthcare and education, like somebody that really wants to systemically create something to get black people out of the conditions that this country systemically put us in. Like nobody I know that's a politician, you know, is, is on it like that, you know, like where they have a, they, they really, really are looking out for the best interests of black people. They all hit us with that you know, a rising tide lifts all boats rhetoric and a black agenda is an American agenda. Like, no, I want somebody that's really looking to do something specifically for black people in that space. And I don't think there's any politicians that I've I've ran across that got that energy. Puff said, and I'm not quoting exactly, but I'm going to kind of be liberal here, but I think this is what he said, what I heard him say. Quote, unquote, the black vote is not going to be for free. What are we getting for our vote? We've been voting Democrat and getting nothing. Nothing has changed for black America. In order to vote for Biden, we can't be taken for granted as usual. At this point, it's whoever wants to make a deal. It's quote unquote business at this point. Kind of basically saying or inferring that it's a business decision and that, and people interpreted that as him possibly swaying people to vote for Trump or endorsing him. I didn't take it that way. I looked at it from both angles. What were your thoughts about that? I think anybody who thought Diddy was being irresponsible, I would simply say to them that there's absolutely nothing irresponsible about demanding something for your motherfucking vote. Like votes are quid pro quo. You know, uh, somebody's supposed to give you something and you're supposed to you're supposed to give them something in return. Like if you're not voting like that, I don't know what you're voting for. Like that's why I keep telling everybody, vote your interests. You know what I'm saying? Vote for your issues. You know, so if the Democratic Party, which they haven't, you know, aren't providing especially especially the Democratic Party, only because like black people show up 90 percent of the time to vote Democrat. You know, when you look at somebody like Joe Biden, it's like, yo, we saved your political life this year. You know, he, his campaign was dead till he got to South Carolina and Jim Clyburn gave him an endorsement and all of those black people in the South came out and showed up for him. So it's just like, yeah, you are in debt. 
you know, to, to, to black people. And I think that that's why you have to demand things from these people, whether it's a comprehensive black agenda, like I said, or whether it's, yo, we do want a, a black woman to be your running mate. Are you already, he already, uh, Joe Biden already said he wants to put a black woman on the Supreme Court. Like we should hold him to those things. Like he should be offering people something to get us energized to go out there and vote in November. Like it's really just that simple. I don't know why that's so hard for people to understand. That's not an endorsement of Donald Trump. That's just saying that, we have done so much for Democrats that, yo, they should be the ones offering us the best deal. So let's make a okay. motherfucking deal. Okay, so my, my thing with that is that, number one, it's a two-part question. Number one, how do you get them to actually execute on what they promised you? I personally don't believe in a black agenda, a white agenda. I believe they, they're operating upon a financial agenda because they don't work for the voters. They work for the donors. For example, there's been no rent please in New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut because the people, they're not working for the voters. They're working for the people who are the donors. And the donors are like, we still need our rent. So how do we get these people that we support to actually to actually do what the fuck they supposed to do for us. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the thing, right? You don't know. Like, they're all selling you dreams, both sides. You know what I mean? Everybody's selling you a dream. Only thing you can do is once you put the person you voted for in the White House is to stay on their ass. That's what democracy is, right? To constantly keep your foot on their neck, to constantly push the gas and demand that they do what they said they was going to do. But you, you can't. Like, it's all a gamble. It's all a risk. So my thing is, since we gambling any motherfucking way, why not gamble on the person that actually, you know, made some promises to you? You know what I mean? Like, people always say, how many songs have you heard throughout your life, school? But they say, don't fuck for free. You know what right. I'm mean? saying? People don't want to work for free. But you ain't got no problem just voting for free? Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, no, it's, it's everybody, like, yes, you should be demanding something from all elected officials in regards to your vote. So, like, to answer your question, yeah, you, you don't know. You don't know. It's all just dream selling. You know, they all just making you promises. You just have to make sure that, you know, you are engaging in democracy enough to where you are continuing to keep your foot on these people's neck and continuing to push the gas to say, no, nah, this is what you promised us. This is what we want. I mean, for me, it's like, why buy a dream at all? Why vote? But I mean, I guess you could say you got you got to vote for somebody. People, if you just tuned in, we're here with Charlemagne the God author, radio, TV host, podcast host, everything. We do this every night at 7 p.m. News, opinion, a bunch of different stuff. And, of course, we have celebrity interviews like Charlemagne the God here, a man that I know and respect for a long time. I want to say this, and I'm going to set this up by saying, full disclosure, Envy's a friend of mine. I don't know Angela Yee. I've known you for many years, and I never bring something up unless I've read it somewhere. And I read this on March 19th, Black Enterprise. It said that Charlemagne the God has a contract with the Breakfast Club that will reportedly end at year's end, and there may be a possibility that he does not return. Quote, unquote, the controversial radio personality who was a host on the Wendy Williams radio show before his rise is rumored to have deals on the table, yada, 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 whatever. I believe half of what I read, especially when I know the person. And then it went on to say that you had tension because of the Gucci man thing and whatever. And um, they talked, you were talking to Joe Budden and you, were, you guys were talking about who's going to renegotiate, who's going to negotiate, and X, Y, Z. And you didn't seem very hot on renegotiating. My question is, 
I, and I pray that the answer is no. Would you want to leave the, the show? Because I think you do such a good job on that show. Would I want to leave? Nah, you would never, you would never want to leave. You know what I mean? But like, if I'm being, I don't know, I don't know what the future holds. My contract is up in December. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't know. I really don't. And that's just the truth to the matter. Like, that's what I said in the interview with Joe. Like, yo, my, my deal is up in December. You never know what could happen. Like, it might not be a radio station. Who knows? Like, look, like, like we didn't know two months ago, three months ago, we would all be quarantined at home. You know, and I think when I say that, when I say, yo, I don't know what the future holds, you know, people take that and run with it, but it's just the truth. Like we, we would never know three months ago, we'd be in the position that we are in now. So until, 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 uh, you know, I, I, something happens and I'm, I'm, I can actually say, now I'm here. I can only say, I don't know what the future holds. You definitely need a contract. Do you feel that you have hit the top of black radio and there's no place else to go? Do you think you could do more somewhere else? And what would your dream job or look be? Nah, man, I, I love doing radio. Like, I don't think there is a, a, a top of black radio. I don't think there is a ceiling. I mean, you think about guys like Tom Joyner. Tom Joyner was there until he didn't want to be there no more. And, you know, every step of the way, you know, he was, you know, really doing for his community in a real way. Like, that brother has, you know, helped to get people elected in office. That brother has given so much money to HBCUs. Like, Tom Joyner definitely used his platform in a real, real way. Like, I'm never one of those people. Like, I love what we built. And, you know, I would love to see how how far we could go and how much more we could accomplish. You know what I mean? Like, what could, what could we really impact and change in our society like i don't i don't i don't look at black radio as a stepping stone to anything i look at this is what i love to do this is my passion you know i would i would do radio for free and have done radio for free you know what i mean so it's just like this is something that's always been in me like i don't look at it as anything other than this is my calling and anything else that comes from this is because of this, you know, whether it's books, you know, I'm a New York Times bestselling author, whether it's TV production, I've produced a lot of stuff, got a lot more stuff I'm producing. All of that stuff is because of the fruit that that bears from that tree of radio. So yeah, I don't look at it like that at all. Like this is, I love what we do. And, and you know, black radio, even when we say black radio scoop, yo, black culture is everything. Like, yes. black, like hip hop culture and black culture is pop culture. Pop culture ain't nothing. It's just a word that's short for popular. There is mm-hmm. nothing more popular than our culture, period. So being at the top of black radio is being at the top of the culture. Like you said it yourself. Look at all the presidential candidates that come through the show. You know, all, all the spiritual leaders that come through the show. They come to Breakfast Club because Breakfast Club has built something that is the epicenter of this beautiful black culture that we've created and black everything revolves around black culture. So this this I love it. I listen, I agree with you hundred percent. I want to thank you for coming through, man. I highly appreciate it. A lot of people actually, I mean shit, a lot of people want to hear from you. They want to hear what's in your mind and what's going on in your brain and you absolutely delivered. Before I do that, I just want to run through one thing and I'm gonna get you out of here. Every show we read a letter, we give people advice. And as soon as I read this letter and Charlemagne goes, I want you to just hop in, give me your comments. I'll put you on the line. I'll bring you on the line and you can just speak your piece about it. Dear Fat Man Scoop, I am the girlfriend of a recently divorced man. He is extremely faithful to me. However, his ex-wife is a fucking problem. She is with another (laughs) man in a new relationship, but she continues to try to have contact with my boyfriend however she can 
uh, mostly texts, using whatever excuse she can. Every time she texts them, she bring, he brings it to me, screenshots it, and is totally transparent with me. I feel like her continuing to reach out to him is very disrespectful to me, and I want to break her jaw. It's like she's acting like I'm a non-fucking factor and not his new woman. First of all, should I be mad that she is reaching out to him if he doesn't even respond or keeps the communication with her generic? Second of all, how should I have him deal with her constantly texting him? Number three, should I tell her to shut him down or else? Or should I trust him to do the right thing? What are your thoughts about that, brother? Man. I mean, I, gotta, I need more context. Do they got kids together? If they got no kids. kids. No, no kids. kids. No kids. Yeah, he should shut that down then. You know what I'm saying? If they don't have no kids and they don't really have no ties, if they don't have no kids and they're not friends, you know, they, they, they honestly, they don't have a reason to be friends, I guess. But, yeah, if they don't have no kids and she constantly reaching out to him, that's just disrespectful at this point. He, he got to be the one to shut that down, though. That's not on her. That's not on her to go out there and break nobody's jaw. Like, he got to be the one to be like, look, I done moved on. I moved on. You moved on. That's that. We don't have no reason to be communicating whatsoever. I don't even know how you explain that to your new woman, especially being that y'all don't have kids. You know what I mean? Y'all got a divorce. I guess you could say y'all might still be friends, but eh, I don't know. You, you wouldn't fuck with that, and I don't want you to fuck with that. Bro, I love you. I'm going to text you after I'm finished, man. I appreciate you. you coming through. I love you, All right, man. King. Love. Love you, All too. Right. Peace. Make Noise with Fat Man Scoop is produced by myself alongside Raj Kachacha and the team at creativecontentagency.com. Please support this podcast by leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I love that. And by following this podcast on Spotify and sharing links to episodes you enjoy with your friends. Do it. You can also email the show via podcast at fatmanscoop.com. I answer that. Or you can DM me at Fat Man Scoop. Yes, I answer DMs.